church. Man, thank you for being here this morning. What a great time for the family of God to be together in this place and celebrate him by lifting our voices in praise, digging into the word of God, gathering around the table. Uh, if you weren't here this weekend and you were a guy, you really missed out. I mean, it was a great opportunity Friday and Saturday to gather with other men of God who wanted to come together to make a statement. And that statement is we love Jesus Christ and we want our life to reflect that. And we had a great time interacting together, listening to Rick present uh, from God's Word from the book of Daniel, and also lifting our voices together. Uh, and if you were here, I know that you were blessed as I was. So for those that couldn't make it, I want to put this on your calendar. It's a year out. Make sure to do that. If, if you weren't able to be here this weekend, think about a year from now being a part of our time here at our men's conference, first weekend of April. It's going to be an important time to be together. Now, I also know that we've got some guests with us this morning. Thank you for joining us, being a part of our time together. We are truly honored that you're here. And if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to think about joining us, telling the story of Jesus right here at Cross Point. There are lots of ways for you to get plugged in. Use your giftedness to do that very thing with us. This morning, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And so I hope you'll get your Bibles out and turn there with me, whether that's a paper Bible or on your phone. Either way, we'd love for you to get to Matthew 6. Our text will be on the screen as well as we continue to unpack this series called Love My Life. And the idea of Love My Life is that we love our life in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we're called to live differently. And we do that cheerfully and excitedly. We're on fire for what he's done for us. And so we live that life of gratitude out for him. That very first week we were together, we were reminded how we're called to have a crazy love for each other. That we love one another in the body and those around us. And Jesus goes on to say, that's how the world is going to know that you're my disciple. By the way that you love one another. And the next week we talked about spiritual growth and maturity and putting some, uh, some disciplines in our life that would allow the Holy Spirit to affect us positively so that we grow into the person God's created us to be. And last week we talked about service and how we can imitate Jesus Christ in the way that we're called to serve those around us. And today is kind of uh, in line with last week's message as well in, in that how do we, how do we live a life that looks generous? How do we really be a giving type person with all that God has blessed us with? Because we know when we make a decision to live a generous life, we look different already than the world around us. Most everybody is in it for me. And they're stacking up things to call their own. They're hoarding a lot of different resources for themselves. And so this morning is a call through scripture that Jesus reminds us there's a tug of war going on in your heart. And he knows us so well. He created us. And so he's going to give us some advice, some guidelines, if you will, on how to live generously in the life that we find ourselves in to give him glory in, in all things. And we know if you're, if you're anything like me, you've got rivals going on in your life. And maybe you experienced some of that rivalry when you were in high school. Maybe you, were, you had your eyes set on one particular uh, girl or, or a guy and you really wanted to take them to prom or homecoming, whatever it might have been for you. Uh, but there was someone else that probably had their eyes on them too. And so this rivalry broke out on who's going to get the attention of this one person. Maybe you've, maybe you've experienced that in the workplace as well. You were ready for that promotion. You had done everything needed, but someone else had as well. And so the boss is looking at you and somebody else. And so this rivalry kind of broke out in the workplace. 
as well. And no doubt you've got a team that you cheer for. There is a rivalry that is right here in Texas, and that happens during football season. Oh my goodness, hook them horns up everywhere. Uh, the Sooners spoke out in first service, so I guess the, the Longhorns are this service. But uh, the, the Red River rivalry is one of those that go back and forth, the, the tug of war, so to speak. Uh, we've got an exciting time for the Big 12, I know, coming up in the championship game with Tech. And uh, hopefully they'll, uh, they'll represent well. I'm sure they will in that final game as well. But there, there is a tug of war every single day in our lives for our hearts, for our attention, for our focus. And Jesus knows that, and so he's wanting to make us aware in the Sermon on the Mount about how do we overcome that very idea? How do we live out life in such a way that we give him glory in everything, including how we've been blessed in life? And Jesus says, I know what the chief competitor is for your heart when it comes to me. I've got some competition because I created you and I know where your heart can be at times. And Jesus says that chief competitor's name is Mammon. What is Mammon? And we're going to unpack that this morning and take a look at what exactly that means. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he reminds us using some rivalry language about how our hearts are in this tug of war. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and you'll love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is laying it all out. He, he realizes that you and I have affections for other things, and sometimes that creates a tug of war within our lives, within our hearts. And you've experienced that in your own life as well. I mean, if you've ever been in the workplace and you've had two bosses to answer to, two different people who are expecting some product from you. Now, if you're married, it's an automatic. You've got your boss at work and you've got your boss at home. Can't do anything about that. That's just the way it is. If you find yourself on the high school scene and you're trying to date two girls, run quickly because it's not going to end well. The rivalry. If, you, if you're rooting for one team, you're typically not going to root for the other team that's on the field as well, unless you're a grandma and you've got kids on both teams. That's just how it works out sometimes, I understand. But there's no other place in the New Testament where Jesus says you cannot serve God and this. This is the only place where God really draws that out, pulls it out, and he says there's no possible way that you can serve two different things. You can't serve God and this. And in verse 24, he uses the word mammon. Now in your Bible, it probably says money. But money is too a finite definition for the original language that's used here by Jesus. So what is mammon? What does that look like for you and for me? Well, it's an old Aramaic word that Jesus uses here, and it's very difficult to translate into the English language because we don't have just one word that describes what mammon truly is. Money is far too simple. But you and I know we're, we're logical people. We're smart folks. Money is not inherently good or bad, is it? 
It's, it's really neutral. It's what we end up doing with it that is the end product that either makes it good or bad. The end product is not money itself. It's a neutral thing. And some this morning might be sitting there saying, well, doesn't Paul talk about money being evil? And in his letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul does say, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Paul does address the effects of money on a Christian uh, disciple's life. But you don't actually love money, do you? I mean, you've handled money before. I've never seen someone take out some money and say, you know, I I just, I love the way this is designed. It's just beautiful. I mean, I love the way the the, the magnetic strip is down the middle and they just off-centered Ben's face a little bit. And and how in the back we've got one of those stoic buildings that are represented. And I like how they turned the number sideways. You don't hear anyone talking about how money is designed. I love money. You don't see anybody smelling money. I love the way the, the smell of money is. If you do, that's kind of weird. I don't know. You never know where money's been. So what is it that we do love? We love what we believe money will buy us. That's what we really love. You see, the root Aramaic word really means that in which someone trusts. That's what mammon really is, that in which someone trusts. And so when Jesus uses the word mammon in the original, it's this idea of a spirit, an idea. It's a false god that's vying for control over our own heart. It's this tug of war that's going on. Mammon is this false god that promises how you can trust money to give you what only God can really give you. And God is such a giving God and mammon is such a liar. Because mammon promises to give you security. I mean, you and I have gone through these motions before. We've got a number in the back of our head that if our checking account or our savings account got to a certain number, we'd be set for life. We wouldn't have to worry about anything. Nod your head if you're with me. You've had that discussion with yourself before. I've got that number in there. And then I will be secure, taken care of. I know I won't have anything to worry about. Mammon also promises that it's going to give you significance. This idea that if I have a certain number in my bank account, then maybe my voice will be heard. People will think that I know what I'm doing, that I'm going in the right direction. People will ask for my advice. It will give me some significance in life, in my family, my neighborhood, my workplace. Mammon promises to give you the ideal family, the ideal marriage. Because if I had just the right amount of money, then I could buy my spouse that house or the car that they want, move them to a a certain part of town. If I had the right amount of money, then I could get my kids the things that they want in life. I could put them on the right sports teams, and the list goes on and on. Mammon promises to give you that ideal marriage and family. It also promises to give you peace and joy in life. If I just had enough money, I'd be happy. But church, the truth is, 
Jesus Christ is the only one who can give you security, significance, a great family, and peace and joy in your life. Jesus Christ is the only person that can do that for you. Nothing else on this earth could possibly do that. But we live in a culture in America that is built on finances and money. And if it's ever touched or pushed... This, com- this country is going to crumble. I find it interesting, and maybe you have too along the way, on the back of all of our paper money at the very top, it says what? In God we trust. And every time you pull money out to make a payment on something, what you're really saying is, I don't trust this money. I trust God. And the question this morning is, are you and I living that out? Do we truly believe that God has our back? Do we truly trust God to give us everything that we need in life? Not necessarily everything we want, but everything we need in life. Do we trust him to supply that for us? Because in our text this morning, Jesus reminds us about an age-old truth, and it's this. Your heart always follows your money. Your heart always follows your money. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Jesus lays it out. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is our creator. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And what is a treasure? Church, it's any asset that you have to your name, tangible or intangible. Any asset that you have to your name is that treasure. And it's always linked to your heart. And the original language here, the word for heart is cardia. And it's much more than just the physical heart that you and I have within us. It is loaded with meaning. Wherever your heart is, that's, that's whatever you would give your life for, whatever you pour your life into, whatever you would follow to the ends of the earth, whatever means more to you than maybe life itself, that's your heart. This idea of being absolutely head over heels in love with one particular thing. It's the same word, cardia, that we looked at just a few weeks ago out of Mark chapter 12. Where Jesus himself says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's like be in love with God in such a way that every facet, every fabric of your being wants to follow him to the ends of the earth. I'm that much in love with my Savior that he has my whole heart And Jesus wants us to understand this principle. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is as well. Wherever you take resources, there is a chain tied to your heart, connected to your heart. Wherever your money is, your heart comes right with you in that moment. 
I mean, look at the order that Jesus uses in the text as he's teaching. Where your treasure is, your heart is going to follow. Now, my guess is that most of us in this room probably have uh, the same major expense each month. I know it's where we are, but that thing is called the house. It's the mortgage payment, the rent, right? And we uh, are invested in that thing. We've got taxes uh, taking care of that. We've got insurance payments taking care of that. And if anything goes wrong with the house, we've got to fix that up. We're worried about curb appeal and making sure the yard looks right, paint on the inside. The list goes on and on. We focus a lot of our attention on our house. Maybe that's where, where your finances are tied in. Maybe it's that new vehicle that you bought, that new car, that new truck, the one that you park at the very end of the Walmart parking lot because you don't want any door dings, right? And in the summertime, you do not park under the tree. It's going to be bad. When Rob and I bought our first new vehicle, we made a deal. She would drive it for a week, and then I'd get to drive it for a week. We switched off back and forth, trying to be fair. But the deal was is if the person driving it, once they turned it over, if they left trash in the car, then the other person got it for an additional week. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we made sure that sucker was clean. And maybe that's where you're at with your car. You wash that thing every week. You clean it up, make sure it's right. There were moments I was tempted. I did not, but to find some trash in the car. <laughs> maybe you're someone who plays the stock market. And that's where your attention truly is. You're, you're invested. And you're watching that line go up and down. And if it goes down too far, you you give your broker a call because it's time to move some of that money. And they're tired of you calling every other day to move some money around. Let it sit. Maybe you're you're one of those families who who are really kid-centric. Everything you do, everything you buy, everything you say revolves around your kids. Now, understand this morning, I'm not saying to sell all of that stuff. I'm not saying don't play the stock market. I'm not saying don't love on your kids and your family and buy the needs that they might have in their life. That's not what we're saying this morning. Because church, this reality is is more than just a Christian thing. It's true for everybody, whether you believe or not. Where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. Because God knows this truth about us, he's wanting to remind us in our life Church, I want your heart. I want all of your heart. I want you to trust me. I want you to use your faith to know that I've got your back, that I'm not going to let you down. Don't find security in something else. Find your security in me. So there's one idea that is kind of laced through Scripture from cover to cover. I mean, understand that God doesn't need your money. I mean, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything that we have, church, actually belongs to him. We're just managers in the process. We don't own anything. I mean, if God wanted something of yours, he'd just take it. That's how it works. It belongs to God. And so we live in such a way that we become like Jesus, that we become generous giving people, knowing that it doesn't stop with me. The blessing doesn't stop here. It flows out from me to bless those around me. 
I mean, if there's a direct connection between our treasure and our heart, then God's going to give us in Scripture a, a, a common principle, an idea that will help us make sure that He is number one in our life and mammon really doesn't have a hold on our heart. And here's the idea. It's this idea of tithing. Tithing ensures God has your heart, not mammon. Now, if you look in the New Testament, you won't find the word tithing. That's an Old Testament idea. It's 10% of what you have given back to the Lord. But you will find in the New Testament this idea of being a giving person, of being generous with what you have. Paul even writes that God loves the heart of a cheerful giver. That if we reflect Jesus and his lifestyle, his nature and character, then we too will be giving people. That it won't stop with us, but it will flow out from us. We hear that word though, and sometimes we fight it and we cringe because we're not exactly sure what that means. But here's the principle of the matter. As you take 10% from what you make and you give back to God. It directs your heart back to God. And Satan is going to try to scare you into holding everything back for yourself. Are you sure you have enough? Are you sure you're secure? Don't you want to be significant? Don't you want to buy your family those nice things? But when we give back to God, when we have this idea of being a generous people, it loosens mammon's grip on our heart. This uh, year, we did a nine-week Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University right here in this room. I got to facilitate that. It was a great time to be together to talk about finances and direction and resources. But I find it interesting on Dave's budget form. When you go to the first line on the budget form, it's not the mortgage, it's not groceries, it's not the medical. The very first thing on his budget form is tithing or giving back to God. Because see, David, he's figured this out. He understands the principle that God is calling us to. When I say, you know, when I get more money, when I get that raise, when I get to this location, then I'll start being more of a giving person. But church, that's mammon talking, trying to control your heart, trying to win the tug of war that God's having with you in your heart. And if you decided for whatever reason, to become that giving person, to give back to God, wouldn't that strengthen your faith? Wouldn't that make you a stronger Christian, realizing that your trust is in God? That your faith is in God, not some monetary thing or some resource? Of course it would. And that is the story of everyone I've ever spoken to who's made a decision to become a generous person. Every person that's decided to be a giving person, that is their story, that you can't outgive God, that he's actually blessed them more than they ever thought possible. I've never met anyone in financial disarray when asked, yeah, I started giving to God and everything just fell apart. I've never heard that story. God's formula just doesn't work. Never heard that story. You see, what God promises each and every one of us is that he can do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. God can do some incredible things in places you never thought it possible, but it takes trust 
And it takes giving him our heart 100% like he continues to ask time and time again. Don't you want to be a person who's able to live and give like nobody else? I want to be that person. But you and I have to submit and surrender to how God's called us to live. To imitate Jesus Christ in every way. To be a generous person. To be a giving person. Now, Robin and I don't pretend to have all the financial uh, questions answered. We've not always been really good at this, but we have made a commitment since we got married to three ideas and three principles. One is that we will be a giving family. We are going to give back. We're not going to hold. We're going to give back. The second thing is that we want to be debt-free because once we make a decision to be debt-free, then, I mean, the road opens up to helping missionaries and mission work, to being involved in ministry, to, to interact with folks on a more personal level because you have the resources to do that. And the third thing is to help people whenever we possibly can. Can't always help, but if we can, we want to be that person. You see, this message is, it's not about give in order to get. And sometimes people hear that in the gospel message. Oh, if I make a decision to be a generous person, a giving person, then God's going to bless me. That's called the prosperity gospel, and it's a lie. It's not biblical. If that's your heart set, God's not going to bless it. But if we make a decision to fully surrender to him, to give him our heart, to be a a people that's generous and giving, we get that blessing from God only to give it out yet again, God's going to bless that incredibly. Because that is the heart of God himself. That's who he's called us to be. That we get blessed and in return we bless those around us. You see, this message is not about giving. This message is about our heart. And where is our heart in connection to God Almighty? Have we fully surrendered to him? Have we given him everything that we've hoped that we could? Are we trying to look like Jesus? Because what we discover along the way is that God truly is a giver. We find that in John three sixteen, a very famous text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so we live a life of generosity because of how generous God has been to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We are such a blessed people. Are we not? I mean, John mentioned in the uh, communion thoughts, uh, seven years here at this location and how God has blessed us incredibly here at this location. We take no credit for that. We give it all to the Holy spirit. It's him working in this place. And you are such a giving and generous group of people. You are so filled with the Spirit. You're so welcoming. And that's the kind of people that we're called to be in Jesus Christ. And so the challenge this morning is that you and I would, would kind of do a heart check. And we would ask ourselves, where are we on that generous scale? Am I withholding all the blessing for myself? Or am I really a person who wants to be generous and look more like Jesus? And I would call each and every one of us this, this week that we would sit down with our families and we would talk about that. Ask where we would like to be. What direction would we like to go? How do we feel God calling us in this process of becoming a generous group of people? Because when we love our life in Jesus Christ, then that's the kind of people that we become. Looking more and more like Jesus Christ.
As we sing this next song, our shepherds will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is that in a crowd this big, we've got folks who are struggling in some areas, who are anticipating some new direction. Maybe you're looking for wisdom and discernment. And I want to encourage you as we sing this song to find one of those shepherd couples and let them pray for you and over you that God would impart to you the wisdom that's needed in your particular moment. And that God would bless you with that heart that wants to look more like Jesus Christ each and every day. That's our hope and our prayer. Let's give him praise together as we stand and sing.